Good morning, Stonebridge. Good morning. Good morning, Greg. <laughs> uh, what a glorious start to 2022, right? Although I will admit, when Matt asked me to do this back in, before Thanksgiving, when it was 60 degrees, it was much easier to say yes. <laughs> so, is everyone over the holidays yet? Recovered from it? No. <laughs> Some honesty in 2022. Thank you for that. <clears throat> so, for those that don't know me, for those that might be new, my name is Greg Picklap. I'm one of the elders here at Stonebridge. Uh... I am known for being a history buff, so there is some history in my, in my sermon today. I apologize in advance. It's a very small portion, not up to my usual standards, but it is that. Um, I'll just start with a prayer here to start 2022. God, thank you for the start to a glorious year ahead of us for here at Stonebridge and for all of us in here. The clean slate, the, the positive that you have in front of us, the 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 struggles you're going to help us with, we know that we trust in you to get us through. To whatever may come, we have you. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Amen. <sighs> so, personally, myself, I am still in holiday recovery. And holiday recovery for me is simply recovery from overeating. For those that don't know my family history, I have many, many Christmases in my family and that is a good thing, but it is also a very bad thing if you're on a diet, which I have stopped even trying to do for the month of December. Thank you. I agree, yes. I, I have probably eaten more spritz cookies than I am, I am good until June. That is where I am at this point. Um, because of these holidays, because of these Christmases, I, I am Christmas. Don't get me wrong. I am Christmased out because I have had too much of a good thing. Too much food, too much, I, I, you know, just, I will eat crackers and cheese probably for a week just, be, just to recover from the holiday smorgasbord that I've dealt with. But it is not my favorite thing at Christmas. My favorite thing at Christmas is listening to the message that we all heard here on Christmas and also my family. My family, who I usually don't get to see on a regular basis, especially in this day and age with everything going on out there in the world today. And it makes me realize how precious the family is. People that I see on social media, but might not see for weeks on end, get together and share what's been going on. The jokes, the stories, the connections, catching up, things that I miss out because I don't get to see them enough. And those stories are special. It's something to be learned from, something to have, something to, to share with each other and laughter and fun and sympathy and grace and prayer because getting together helps each other as a family. And for that, for, that is Christmas to me. We're going back, fast forwarding through Luke. As you know, leading up here, we were in Luke before Christmas and then we covered the Christmas story. Um, Ryan Graydon before that, Matt through Christmas, and then back, and now we're going to fast forward again in Luke. So we have really been in Luke, but we've been skipping around. And for those that remember when we were covering the, the Christmas story, we had a manger up here showing how humble it started. We're talking rough wood with rough hay and straw and rough beginnings and, and a foot of manure and dirt and mud. That is where our Savior was born. 
And now we're going to fast forward to where I am going to be covering today, where Jesus is at the height of his earthly power. Massive crowds, massive pushback from government authorities, massive, massive everything is at his apex here on earth. And that is what we're covering today. So for your context, just make sure you keep that in mind, where we started from and where we are right now. We're going to start in Luke 8.1. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Whoa. Welcome 2022. I'm covering women in ministry. And you might be thinking, this is a very powerful subject, especially in this day and age. Mary having seven demons forced out of her. But that is not what I'm covering. That is not what's impressive to me. Don't get me wrong. It is an incredible story of God's power. But I want you to focus on the straightforward portion of this text that we're covering today. By name, women Christian leaders are being focused on in the Bible. This is radical for the time. Rabbis did not teach women of the Jewish faith. Rabbis did not bring them in to be part of the ministries. They were a separate part of society that was not given the same advantages as the men of the period. And here, Jesus, by name, is having these women as part of his ministry. And if you look in the back, you see that as part of our new mission statement, for the family as a family of Christ. Leaders of Stonebridge for weeks have been on this stage talking about it. And that is a statement to how powerful a family Christian church is, even 2,000 years ago when Jesus was having this. Because if you look at it this way, I want you to focus on the women leaders of Jesus' ministry <coughs> and how they specifically mentioned supporting it with their physical work and financial means. These were crucial parts of his ministry that he brought in as women leaders. Pointed out again and again by us here on this stage for the past couple weeks, for a family, as a family of Christ, women's ministry, men's ministry, worship music, hospitality, connection groups, D6, Wednesday night youth group with Ignite and Forged, home program across the street that you heard Robert talk about on Christmas Eve being such a huge part of his recovery process. All those are part of our family here at Stonebridge, and all of them are part of our ministry that are worked with women leaders in worship, in hospitality, in finance, in everything. If you look across the room here, every one of you is a Christian leader. Every one of you is part of our family, and that is what we have here at Stonebridge. In this day and age, it is, it is just as radical to say that as it is 2,000 years ago. And I don't say that lightly. Because out there in the world today, that is not what society has for us. Society has a different meaning for us. Society has a different way to do it. Society is telling us it's wrong. But it's biblical. It's shown right here. 
and it shows how important it was then and is today. So just keep that in mind. As a straightforward story, as we go through the parables, the straightforward story I'm telling you right now, every one of you is important, every one of you is a leader, and every one of you is a family here at Stonebridge. That's a straightforward story. Now we get into the parables. Show of hands, how many of you know the definition of parables? Matt, you do not count. <laughs> Parable, a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. That's Webster's. So basically, it's another story. But it's a confusing story. A parable is it's like, a, it's like a present on Christmas, all right? You have to put some effort into it. You have to unwrap it. You have to dig into it. You have to figure out what is in there to realize the joy of the present that is in there for you to unwrap. A parable is the same thing. You've got to unwrap it. You've got to dig into it. You have to find it. It's not just given to you up on a silver platter. And parable is a very valuable teaching tool in the Bible. And it's a very valuable teaching tool to us here today. A parable can be more impactful than just a straightforward, hard advice straight to your face. If you, if you watch the news, which, don't get me wrong, is really bad nowadays in a lot of different things, the news will say, a car accident happened at 23rd and 2nd Street. That's it. Factual information, factual given to you, factual way to tell you what's happening out there in the world today in your community. Did you really gain anything from it? No. A parable is a story. And it, we're going to follow through here where Jesus is telling parables directly to his disciples of how to teach them and give them examples of how to teach them after he's gone. So parables are a very unique way to tell stories but have been used by generations and centuries of human history by some of our most famous leaders, which I'm going to follow here shortly. But parables are a way to tell stories, get your point across, and actually make a huge impact on you by telling you things that you might not even realize until you've gone through the entire thing. Do you have the picture up, Max? Okay, so here's the history part for you. Now, show of hands, how many of you know who this guy is? Much better than the parable response I got. Now, I am a history nut, that is a given. And this guy up here is one of my all-time favorite American leaders, and his story is famous, and I'm not going to get into it for a couple of things. But this guy, and I'm going to skid over here a little bit. What is this guy famous for? Just shout it out. Ending slavery. Ending slavery. Next. Honest Abe. Anything else? Illinois. Illinois. All right. He had a difficult wife. <laughs> Russell, stay quiet. He was a Republican. He was Republican. <sighs> Travis, I can always count on you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Serious predicament between the North and South. Economics. Economics, yep. Slavery, political firestorm. Basically, it 
he was thrust into the presidency at the cusp of one of the greatest traumas of our nation right now. So growing up, Mr. Lincoln grew up on the frontier where there were no books. If he wanted a book, he had to go walk miles one way to get it, to, drive, to walk it back and read it and then return it and do the same thing. So he would literally travel from here to Ames on foot, sometimes daily, to get reading materials so he could learn. He was self-taught. But what he did have consistently, and which we know from his own records was, growing up on the frontier, is he had continual, continuous use of the Bible. He always had a Bible, whether it was his home or his neighbors or nearby settlers. He always had access to the Bible. And the, ver and the text we're covering today is exactly how he spoke on so many occasions leading through his presidency that you would almost swear that you were hearing that again because that is how he self-taught. He took the examples of what he read in the Bible and used it in his leadership ability as president again and again and again. When pressed for a political comment or a highly charged decision, he would answer with a parable and frustrate the people to no end because they just want a straight answer. Do you support this? Do you not? His response was usually a parable, which answered the question, but not the way the people wanted. But it still got his point across, and he still made the decision, and he still led, and he still led the nation through a terrible four-year ordeal of this. But again... Parables are work. Parables that we're going to cover here and parables that you might hear later on in life and something that you might even run into when you're going through Facebook or something like that. Parables are work that you've got to work for to find the answer because it is important that you do to learn from it. And Jesus knew that. I'll give you an example here. Lincoln used a famous parable of a story he had when he was a lawyer in Illinois. And, if, and it, how many of you have seen the movie Lincoln? Thank you. All right. If you haven't, go see it. Rent it. Buy it. $5 bin at Walmart. It is a great movie. You will need to see it. And one of the parables he tells is dealing with the 13th Amendment that they're trying to pass to abolish slavery. And the parable he tells is this. It's, it's a story of when he was a trial lawyer in Illinois, and he had a murder case of a woman named Melissa Goings. And Melissa was a 70-year-old woman who was with an abusive spouse, who was a drunk, beat her regularly. It was well-known in the community, but he was a privileged landowner, and things got nasty, and she defended herself, and he died. No one disputed those facts. But the criminal system at the time on the frontier dictated that she suffer for it. She was a woman. She was infirm. She had no friends. And Lincoln was charged with defending her in court. And he was running out of options. So Lincoln asked for a conference in the delay of trial and took her into a conference room and pulled her aside and they talked through everything. And he comes out and then the trial eventually is going to resume. The judge sends the bailiff in to get her and she's gone with the window open. And the judge pulls Lincoln in and says, what did you do to allow her to escape. And all he said was, all she asked for was where she could find a good drink of water. And, he, and I told her, Tennessee. <laughs> See? You're, you're, you're unwrapping the gift. Remember, he's in Illinois. He said Tennessee. He did nothing else 
but say that to her. And his logic and his honesty was so profound that the courts forgave the bail, dropped the charges, and never resubmitted anything. Because everyone knew that that's what they wanted to do. Everyone knew it, but they felt obligated to do this. He was showing through a parable, explaining to the court why it was wrong, and did it in a way that got everyone to where they wanted to go and everywhere where they needed to go, and with no consequences for him legally or professionally. And the same goes for Melissa Goings, who later retired to California legally and scot-free to live out her life with her family. Now, parables are powerful tools. They got to be used very judiciously. They got to be used carefully because they can hurt, but they can be very powerful tools when used the right way. So when we're going through the text here, please Keep that in mind when you're going through this, because if you notice through the parables that we're talking about, in no way, shape, or form do you see anything sarcastic or biting or anything else. It is kindness. It is educational. It is teaching through Jesus the way that he wanted it to be happening after he was gone. And I think as a society, we need way more of that in this day and age. All right. Luke, Luke 4. I'm sorry, 1-4. The parable of the sower. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I have a very easy job here today. Because Jesus, in the very next section, explains exactly what this parable is about. I don't have to do anything but repeat that. I am extremely, I'll say this, blessed that I get this easy passage right here. Now, when asked by his disciples what it meant, Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that, they, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He is talking to the twelve in another parable. <coughs> what he's explaining is this. The seed is the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones that are on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That's a lot to unwrap. And Jesus is talking about all of us in this room today. All of us. Because all of us, in some way, shape, or form, have fallen on one of these paths. 
It's not might not be where we are today, but at one point in our lives, I guarantee you, I have been in one of those that was not the fruitful land. Personally speaking, I will tell you from one standpoint, I was on the rock at one point. That is incredibly hurtful to me as a leader of this church to have to say that. At one time in my life, I did that, but to be honest, I need to say that because it needs to show you of how we all stumble. The ones that are on the path are those who have heard and the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts. We all have seen this. We've all seen members or family or friends or some acquaintance in your life come in and, and be in and the, that whisper starts. That whisper in your ear that we've all have heard and eventually it becomes loud enough to drown everything out and they fall away. The one on the rocks where they hear the word and receive it with joy. I've been there. I was there as a kid. I was there for a while until I came to Stonebridge. What grows on rocks? Does anything fruitful uh, in nourishing grow on rocks? No, because there's nothing there. There's nothing to pull from. There's, nothing, there's no moisture. There's, there's no nutrients to feed it. And as for those that fell among the thorns, they have the other issue. They're not among the rocks. They're among the guilty pleasures of this world that drowns everything else out. The political power, the, the social power, the, the riches they have acquired here that do them no good in the next life. That is more important to them now. That drowns everything else out. But, the last one. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We all have different blessings. We've all been blessed in different ways. Now, our blessings are given to us different because we are different needs. Some of us have financial needs. Some of us have mental needs. Some of us have family needs. Some of us have social needs. Some of us, some of us are just looking for something that they don't even know yet, but God knows and God's going to deliver it because that is his blessing. Now, we might not like it. We might not know we need it, but he does. So, again... When you're looking at, the, when looking at this, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Because you might get it the least unexpected time you do, and just like a parable, you might have to work for it. You might have to unwrap it to find it. You might have to find the adversity that God's given you to get to where he wants you to go. But I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Because the forge and the fire that he puts you through to get you where you are makes you a better Christian and follower in faith to spread his light. Now, we end on two more parables here. A lamp under a jar and Jesus' mother and brothers. Now, believe it or not, I do not believe that Luke put these in here by accident. I think he did this to wrap things up in a nice little bow. And in my context, going through this scripture, to me, this whole 
segment has been one big parable. Unwrapping it, finding it, and figuring it out. So the next one on 16, a lamp, lamp under a jar. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so those, that, those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care that how you hear, for, one, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, a little context. We live in 2022, where if you need light, what do you do? Flip the switch. That is not what this context of this, this parable is about. Light at the time was very, very hard to create. It was very, very hard to nurture. It was very, very protected, because once you had it, it was incredibly hard to get it back. We're talking of little oil lamps, of fires, of shadowing flickers of light into the darkness. Okay? Now, in this day and age, when we think of a lamp, we think of this. See how easy that was? This thing could burn your eyes. That is not the lamp of 2,000 years ago. It's flickering, it's hard, it's supposed to be shared. They want it out there to show as much as possible of their surroundings because when it gets dark, it gets dark. And to the people of the time, when they had a lamp that was a good lamp and showing a lot of light, it was like seeing into the darkness of revealing everything they hadn't seen since dusk. So this is the imagery that he is showing us here. And this is the imagery that we need to have in mind when we're saying this lamp and this parable of not putting it with a jar under a bed to hide it. It's to show it and spread it. To share that light with the world. And it comes with a warning. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Share the light. Share the message. Share it with the person that comes to you in times of fear and hunger and hate, and share the message because that might get them through those doors and make them on the right path where they can flower and grow. But it also is a warning to those that do not listen and heed that light. If they don't heed the warning, if they don't heed the light, then what they have that's so important, whether it's earthly riches, position in society, or anything else, will be taken away, regardless of what they think they can control. That is not their choice to make. That's God's. And he is telling you, if you don't follow the light, if you don't spread the light like he has commanded, it will suffer and you have no control over the consequences because you did not heed the warning. Now, I'm going to close on Jesus' mother and brothers. <clears throat> and then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him 
because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered, my brother, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Okay, we started on a radical concept here of Jesus and women ministry leaders, and we're going right into Jesus' mother and brothers. And what I want you to keep in context here again is the fact being that at this time, which has been repeatedly told by myself and Matt and Ryan Graydon and, and uh, Chris Hansen, and over and over again over the, over the weeks here, has been the structure of family in this time period. Your family was your top priority because everything was on your family ties, your genealogy, your history. If you belonged to this family, you were here. If you belonged to this family, you were here. There was no give and take. It was all structure. And what Jesus is saying is he's not denying his family, but his ministry, doing God's work, was the priority. And I say that very, very calmly because Jesus doesn't even deny his mother when he's on the cross. Remember that. He's not saying his family here on this earthly plane is not important, but he's saying his ministry, his, earth, his church family, for the family as a family of Christ, is the priority for him at this time. So when you look at it this way, we are not here by blood ties. We're not here as what could be defined as a family in society today. We are here as a church family from many different families by blood, many different parts of society, many different political spectrums. Looking at you, Travis. But what I'm telling you is, is that we are here together in a place of worship for Christ, for each other on a Sunday morning where it is negative 10 degrees. And to me, that's powerful. We're here. There's people at home streaming us right now, watching as well. We are here together as a family, as a church family at Stonebridge, because we want to enjoy the word, learn the word, spread the word. We are a family of the church, a family not of blood but of faith, and some of us have fallen along the path and were trampled. Some of us fell on the rock and grew and withered away and came back. Some fell among thorns but got free of the thorns and came back. Some fell into good soil and never left and grew a hundredfold. But I guarantee you, even on the good soil, there were still droughts and floods and everything else. So, again, we're all here coming from different places, but we're all here. We've all taken different paths to be here today, but we are here together sharing our stories, sharing our thoughts, sharing our jokes, sharing each other so we can grow stronger and go out this next week to spread the light and spread the faith. Sharing the faith that binds us as a family in the start of a brand new 2022, and that is a glorious thing. Now, when we start this next year, it's going to be hard, and there's going to be trials, and there's going to be struggles and everything else, and I urge you in 2022 and beyond to lean on each other here at Stonebridge. If you have strength of need, reach out to us in prayer. If you have strength of prayers and you need, if some of us calls on one of you to help us, answer the call. Because only together do we grow stronger and spread the light. And with each other, we get better. And that is a wonderful start to 2022 as well. 
close us in prayer here. God, we thank you for the start of this very cold 2022, of the struggles that we are facing in 2021, the struggles that we probably still are facing right now. But we know that you will answer our call, that we will light your light and send it out to the world together in different ways and different blessings and using our strengths. But together as a family, we will come together and help each other achieve that and work together and support each other. Amen.